Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. All right, we're going to jump into the message uh, and try to get through this quickly. Because as soon as I'm done preaching, I'm going to beeline it out that door, get into my car and drive to O'Hare and fly to Florida. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, and so I don't want to be uh, late and miss my flight like uh, Adam and Tara Shockley did. <laughs> so, for, so I'm not going to be hanging around. I'm just going to be gone. So pray for me. Uh, I'm going to visit my mom. She's down there and the boys um, for uh, spring break. But I'll be back next Sunday. We're actually coming back on Saturday to be here for uh, Brother Mitko, our favorite itinerant pastor from Bulgaria. And he, he will have a great word. He always has a great teaching. We are continuing our series on the inward journey, part of our year-long uh, emphasis on developing spiritual growth. This first part, talking about growing inwardly, also uh, more commonly talked about as our, uh, the process of sanctification. But it's a journey. It's a, it's a process. It's something that we uh, need to uh, work on, really, the whole of our Christian lives. And we've touched on many different aspects of this journey. This month, as we lead up, this is the last month of talking about the inward journey, and then next month we're going to start talking about the upward uh, journey, which is getting to know God and the nature of God and, and how that, how knowing God changes us and become, causes us to grow spiritually. Uh, but as we lead up to Easter, we'll look at some of the accomplishments of what Christ did on the cross and through the resurrection and how that affects or how that empowers are in our inward journey of sanctification. So how you power a journey uh, really makes a difference. Mark and I and a few others of us, uh, if you can see that, I don't know how well it shows up, yeah, there you go, um, <clears throat> went to Mexico City uh, two weeks ago and did the Blessed Nation and, and ministered down there, had a great time. And if we had decided to walk, it would have taken 685 hours or 29, 24-hour days of continue. We'd still be walking. <laughs> All right. If we decided the bicycle, which is a little bit faster, it would only have taken 179 hours or seven and a half, 24-hour days to bicycle. Uh, and, and a few years ago, I might have considered that a challenge. <laughs> you know, break it up. I could do it in uh, 20 days, <clears throat> but I don't know if I, I want to do that anymore. <laughs> so if we had driven, <clears throat> it would have taken 33 hours or, or one and a third uh, if you nonstop. You just, and we'd been exhausted <clears throat> if we'd made it through the border area. But you know what? We decided to fly and it only took six hours. Right, and, and, and a good hour or two of that was sitting in O'Hare waiting for the flight. Uh, four hours from Chicago to touchdown. And so how you make a journey, how you power that journey, sure does have a big effect, doesn't it? Right? Well, it's the same thing in our inward journey as well as our upward journey. Uh, we need to be uh, powered uh, by the power of the cross and the resurrection, or else we just will not make it. The journey is too arduous. How many would like to walk to Mexico City? N nobody. <laughs> uh, I think it's actually be pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> but uh, I'd probably want to walk to British Columbia better. Uh, <clears throat> uh, so it would be arduous, wouldn't it? Mountains, deserts, right? Criminals. Who knows what could be? Perilous. 
injury, right? And the same thing with our spiritual journey. We need to uh, walk. The journey is too arduous and too perilous unless we're walking hand in hand with the Lord Jesus. So today I just want to focus on three aspects that I see in Scripture, in the book of John, that talk about uh, uh, truths about Jesus Christ. And they're all said in a particular way. They all begin with the word behold. And the first one was spoken by John the Baptist, who was the prophet sent to prepare the way for the Messiah. And he said, he said this, this is uh, John had been preaching <clears throat> repentance and baptizing people and uh, and Jesus uh, comes to one of his meetings, and there's John, and he looks up, and Jesus is walking, and he, and he declares, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John supernaturally had a revelation, prophetic utterance. He knew that this was no ordinary man. This was the Lamb of God. And this is a very significant statement because it is referring to really a number of different references in the Old Testament and the, the Old Covenant where the Lamb was um, uh, foretold of the coming Messiah. All right? and, and most graphically it's depicted in the story of Abraham and his son Isaac. As you know, as you may know, if you, if you want to read the whole story, read the, read the book of Genesis. But uh, Abraham was chosen by God, but he didn't have a son. And, and God had promised that there would be a, a, a lineage, a descendants that actually would, uh, through him, ev all the families of the earth would be blessed. And he'd have so many children that he wouldn't be able to number them. But he didn't have even any children. And it wasn't until he was almost 100 years old before he had a child. And finally he had this child, and, um, and the child is, is of age, or, or we don't quite know exactly how old he was, but he was kind of getting up there. Uh, and God told him to sacrifice his child, to actually take his child and sacrifice his child. And I don't know about you, but the idea of that in and of itself was like, how could he bear to even consider it? But he had heard God, and he had based his whole life on following God's word. And so when God told him this, Abraham uh, obeyed because he believed that God would raise his son from the dead. And it was actually that faith that we read about in many other places in Scripture. It was because Abraham believed that God would keep his promise, uh, that uh, it was accounted for to him or credited to Abraham as righteousness. And that's the basis for the whole New Testament understanding that we obtain righteous standing before God when we believe. Abraham was the first example of it, but that example was shown, was demonstrated in this challenge of sacrifice your son. So there's Abraham and his servants and his son, and they're going off to do a sacrifice, which was not uncommon. Abraham was a religious man, they did sacrifices. And they're walking down the road, and they're about to... Uh, <clears throat> leave the servants behind and go up the mountain. And Isaac says, hey, Dad. He says, yes, uh, son. He, he probably, Abraham was probably having a hard time and uh, probably not talking much because <clears throat> he, he knew what he was going to do. But Isaac didn't know. He said, Dad, we have wood. Yeah, we have wood. And we have fire. They had to carry a, a pot of fire because uh, they didn't have lighters. <laughs> he said, but there's no lamb. 
And Abraham looked at his son and said, My son, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. Wow. Okay. So Abraham had faith. In fact, when he left his servants with his son to go up the mountain, he said, Wait here, the boy and I will return. He, he was ready to sacrifice his son, but he even then had faith that he, he thought he'd die but be raised up immediately. All right? That's the faith he had. And he said, God's going to provide the lamb. Isaac, follow me. <clears throat> and they went to the top of the mountain, of course. Um, just as he, uh, he tied Isaac down, he was going to sacrifice him. An angel appeared, stopped him, and sure enough, there was a lamb stuck in the thicket. And so they sacrificed that lamb in, instead. But it was that story that demonstrated the truths that are fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. Because God the Father actually did send His Son, and His Son actually was uh, crucified, was killed as a sacrifice for our sin. When John says, Behold, the Lamb of God, it's saying that this person fulfills all of what was foretold throughout the Old Testament about God providing a sacrifice that will accomplish atonement, forgiveness of sin for uh, mankind. This is it. So Jesus was much more than a, another prophet. Uh, he was much more, much, much more than uh, just another teacher. He was the Lamb provided by God. And in fact, he was God, uh, the Son. Uh, and just a little bit later, uh, a, a few a chapter down in the same story, John says, For God loved the world so much, it's written in the book of John, For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God fulfilled what was uh, foreshadowed in the story of Abraham and Isaac by actually sending his son to be the lamb that was slain on our behalf. Behold the lamb. Jesus fulfilled all of what all of the Old Testament sacrifices foretold. And we we hear uh, the book of Hebrews is all about uh, understanding how Old Testament ideas integrate and are fulfilled in the New Covenant, in the life of Jesus, and the teachings of the New Testament. And so here in Hebrews, uh, I kind of delves into it. Really, I wanted to read the whole chapter, and, and then I wanted to read the whole book. <laughs> but you only give me 35 minutes, and I always go over Anyway, <clears throat> so we're just going to read a couple of verses. But you know what? You can read the whole book uh, for free. <clears throat> All right? Uh, so do that. Get to know it. It's a great book. Hebrews, uh, it's a little kind of thick, but it's good uh, when, you, when you understand how it fits together with it all, but it really does connect these Old Testament practices with how they're fulfilled in the New Covenant. It says, for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the Old Covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sin. All right? But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sin, good for all time. Then he sat down at the place of honor at God's right hand. <clears throat> Every morning and evening, a lamb was slain on the altar. Can you imagine that? Hearing the, the, the lamb being pulled out of the pen and dragged to the altar 
and then being uh, uh, killed and bled out and burned on the, uh, on the altar. And, and that was just the morning and evening lamb. There were t just many, many, many animal sacrifices continually going on for, for hundreds, almost thousands of years, uh, repeatedly, endless, endless, endlessly. And even in the Old Covenant, they knew that the blood of animals did not have the power to sanctify or to set us free from sin. They knew it was a foreshadowing of what would be accomplished by the Messiah. All right? So no one was ever saved by, by an animal sacrifice. That, those animal sacrifices were looking forward to what would ac be accomplished by the Messiah. Uh, even though many of them didn't fully understand that. But the Bible says that didn't have the power to save anyone. Uh, but Jesus coming as high priest was the single sacrifice that was uh, able to accomplish all that all of those Old Testament sacrifices symbolized and looked forward to. Christ satisfied the law and the need uh, for forgiveness for all time. So, so that, that daily morning and evening sacrifice was just a reminder that we need forgiveness. It was a reminder that there were sins and, uh, and the penalty of sin was death. It was a constant reminder to everyone who saw it that sin is serious. Sin needs to be dealt with, and the way you deal with sin is death. But it wouldn't satisfy that need until Jesus came and died. And He satisfied the need for all sin, for all people, for all time. Amen? We're going to celebrate that in two weeks on Easter. Uh, and this is what we're leading up to, the understanding of this idea of behold the Lamb. So just like the Old Testament priest who didn't have what it took to satisfy the requirements of God's justice, all right, sometimes we don't have uh, what it takes. And we know that. You know? Uh, but we can have confidence because God provides what we lack through Jesus, and if you caught that in the saying, that it was God's will to make us holy. It's through Christ's sacrifice. We don't just get forgiveness, we actually get transformation unto holiness. It has the power to change us. And uh, it was good for all time. Uh, we never have to fear that Christ's sacrifice is not going to be good enough for something we do. There's nothing you can do that is too much for Jesus' blood to cover. All right? As long as you receive what He did and repent and receive Him as Lord, He can cleanse whatever you've done. Uh, uh, he's able to pay for all of our failures, and that's good. He's the Lamb of God uh, sent to take away the sins of the world. God so loved the world. This means every man, woman, and child. Uh, Jesus' blood is the propitiation, the payment, for the sins, not only of our sins, it says in the letter that John wrote later, but for the sins of the whole world. So atonement, this being made right with God, is available for everyone through His one sacrifice. So, the first declaration was, Behold, the Lamb made by the prophet John. The second one is, Behold, the man. And this is very important, but surprise, surprise, it wasn't said by a prophet, it was said by a heathen. <clears throat> you may have known him, heard of him. Uh, we read this in John 19. Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. <clears throat> and when I read that, I was actually quite stunned. <clears throat> because I don't think Pilate understood the significance of this statement. 
This was certainly, of course, what we just read in John 3, beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now we're near the end of Jesus' ministry. He'd already done all the teachings, all the miracles. He'd been betrayed and arrested. And, uh, and, and this is during the time of uh, the trial. Uh, and he's appeared before Pilate. <clears throat> and uh, the Jews are, of course, wanting him to be uh, crucified. And Pilate's trying to navigate through this. And it, uh, after one interrogation, he has Jesus beaten and then they put a, a crown of thorns on his head so his blood is dripping down and a, on a, a purple robe on him. And obviously the intent was to mock. Uh, and I actually, Pilate was primarily mocking the Jewish leaders more than he was mocking Jesus. He actually wanted to let Jesus go. Uh, and he said, behold the man. But what's significant is... <clears throat> um, uh, first of all, Pilate had declared him innocent. He says, I find no fault with him. But then he presents him as the man. <laughs> and the son of man was the most common and the preferred title that Jesus used of himself. Eighty times, almost 80, 80 times in the Gospels, one time in the book of Acts, almost every time Jesus spoke of himself, he would refer to himself as the son of man. Um, <clears throat> and uh, only five times does Jesus use the term Son of God referring to himself? And so Son of Man is the title that Jesus identified himself as. He came as the Son of Man. And, and this, of course, I can go into the history of it or the prophetic symbolism that's, uh, or uh, prophetic tie-in. It's based on uh, prophecies from Daniel as well as other places in the Old Testament. But there's a, a bigger importance here. <clears throat> See, Jesus' divinity, the fact that he was the Lamb of God, he was God's Son, enabled him to live sinless. He was the perfect Lamb without spot or blemish. But to pay for the sins of mankind, he had to be a man. All right? To take our place, he had to be one of us. All right? And this is, this is really the hinge of the whole message of Christianity. And uh, it explains this in many, many places. Sometimes you just read over that word quickly, but let's just stop and pause for a minute. In 1 Timothy 2, uh, Paul explaining this idea to Timothy, he says, There is one God, we believe this, one God, and there is one mediator between God and men. And a mediator is what connects, what mediates uh, the distance between man and God. And it is the man, Christ Jesus. The one mediator is the man. Now, God could have left that word out of Scripture. Could have just said the Lord Jesus. Could have said the Spirit of Christ. But He didn't. There's an emphasis on the humanity of Jesus. Now, you realize that the first 100, almost 200 years, actually, the first 300 years, especially around the 200s uh, after this was written, but even when this was written uh, in the early church, people struggled with believing that Jesus was human uh, more than believing that he was God because he did so many miracles, everybody knew the miracles that they thought he was God. And so there's almost an emphasis on this, but we need to understand it too, that he was and is human. And it is because he is a man, he can be the mediator be, that bridges the gulf between uh, mankind and God. In Romans, Paul explains it this way. <clears throat> he says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, referring all the way back to the beginning, the story of Adam and Eve and how they chose uh, to disobey 
God's rule and to, to do what they were told not to do and to reject the authority of God. So Adam sinned. He caused death to rule over many. And earlier in the chapter it says, because all sin like him. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it, grace and righteousness, will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. You see, the whole uh, message of the gospel, the purpose, everything that Jesus did was in a very real sense uh, untangling the knot that was created through sin and death that corrupted and entangled and, and, and bound up humanity. And so in order to untangle, he's got to undo thread by thread. And a big part of it was being human and living under the will of God and not making a violation, not sinning. So living without sin, but then conquering death and conquering sin. Not just for Jesus, but for the rest of mankind. So just as sin came through Adam uh, and through Adam affected everyone, uh, all humans, through righteousness, uh, through Jesus comes righteousness, freeing us from sin, freeing us from the consequence of sin, which is death. Isn't that great? I think it's great. It's through the man, Jesus Christ, okay? Because God was always sinless. You know, God couldn't have, you know, it wasn't God's sin that was preventing the solution. God was sinless, all right? But Jesus, God coming as man, enables that link, that mediation to happen. Uh, and if Jesus isn't human, then the whole thing doesn't work, all right? <clears throat> the whole theology, the whole understanding of our salvation breaks apart. Uh, another part about this, uh, uh, that we have a man uh, as, as Lord, <clears throat> uh, is explained in the book of Hebrews. It says, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, in other words, the curtain that separated, uh, he's referring to the temple, there was a curtain that people couldn't see the ark, which was the presence of God because of this curtain, there's a veil. <clears throat> he's saying that curtain was actually just a representation of his flesh. We now have access uh, to the holy place where only the high priest could go one time a year, now everyone has access through his flesh. That means his physical, Jesus' physical body, all right, G gains us access. Since we have a great priest, great high priest now, Jesus becomes a high priest um, over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart, with full assurance of faith, and our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. All right, so because Jesus, the man... We have confidence, we have assurance. Because of Jesus, the man, we have access through his body. Somehow, because he made it, we can make it. How? By following him. That's why he said, follow me, all right? Follow him, stick close. We have a high priest that represents us, that represents God to us, that will never die. And we are clean in our conscience, that means guilt in our mind, but also our bodies. That means we can actually live sin-free and free from the consequence of sin because of the power of what Jesus accomplished. Amen? Is that good? All because Jesus is a man. Last one is Jesus. Behold the, your king. I like that this one is a little more personal. 
behold the lamb, behold the man, but here it's behold your king. And guess what? Pilate said this too. <clears throat> Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, are you king of the Jews? And this time Pilate's getting a little agitated. <clears throat> He's been hassling him this uh, for quite a while. Jesus answered, uh, says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said, are you a king then? He keeps asking. It's like, are you a king? Because the Jews were saying he's claiming to be king. Pilate saying, are you a king? Are you a king? And Jesus finally answers him. He says, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So Jesus accepted that he came as a king. In fact, that's why he was born. But he's a king of a different kind than Caesar or Herod or the government systems of this world. He represents a different type of kingdom, and his kingdom is not from this realm. It's from heaven. Uh, it goes on, it says, Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? He said, don't you know who you're talking to? <clears throat> Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? And Jesus said, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered to you has the greater sin. <clears throat> from then on, Pilate sought to release him. He just wanted to get rid of this guy. <laughs> He's trapped. He's afraid of Caesar. He's afraid of the Jews. His wife keeps having dreams about this holy man. The guy claims to be the son of God. Poor Pilate. He's just a politician trying to figure a way out. <laughs> so he's trying to get rid of him. But the Jews cried out, saying, if you let this man go, you're, no, uh, you're not Caesar's friend. Um, whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that, he said, uh-oh, they'll get me with that one. He brought Jesus out, sat him down in the judgment seat, <clears throat> a uh, place called the pavement, uh, Hebrew is Gabbatha. Uh, it was preparation day uh, of the Passover, and about the sixth hour, he said to the Jews, so this is, he had he'd sat down on the judgment seat, he had made his determination, uh, and he brought him out. This time he said, behold, your king. And they cried, away with him! Away with him! Crucify him. Pilate, listen to this. He is the legitimate representation of Caesar, who was the ruler of the known world, okay? Publicly and officially declaring Jesus as the people's king. Whew. I think that's incredible. I think that it's amazing that God got a heathen politician to speak truth. <laughs> significant truth world changing truth he even wrote I know it's an amazing miracle he wrote it he put it in writing and nailed it to the cross this is powerful right so there's, this, there's a whole authority thing I talked for hours about how authority works in the kingdom but the fact that the worldly authority acknowledged and confessed aloud publicly the declaration that Jesus is king your king is significant alright King means sovereign, it means ruler. <clears throat> Ultimate question is, who's in charge of your life? And even Pilate, an enemy of Christ, 
uh, representing Caesar, the enemy of, of the Jews, an enemy uh, of, 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 uh, of the kingdom, declares he's the king. <clears throat> Who's in charge? Now, of course, he was doing it mockingly, but he spoke truth, and God used that prophetically. And, and the people rejected the rule of God. They rejected the man that God had sent. They rejected the Lamb of God, the Son of God. And they actually said, we have no king but Caesar. We reject God's authority and we choose the world's authority. Now just think, don't you think, if you were in that crowd, what would you have done? That's a pretty significant moment in history, isn't it? And of course, sitting here in a nice comfortable chair in North America, 2,000 years later, we can go, those knuckleheads, they're idiots. <clears throat> I believe every time we choose the world's way over Christ's way, we're saying the same thing. Ouch. Every time we do, we respond out of the world system, out of the world way of thinking, out of selfishness, out of sin, out of ungodliness, out of uncharity, any way that's not reflective of the nature and the character of Christ, we're actually saying the same thing. So we're no better than they are. But thank God, Jesus sent the, God sent the Lamb, who was a man that paid the price and who's king. He's in charge, all right? Peter explains it this way. This is now, uh, they crucified him, they buried him. Everybody had lost hope. Even his, his closest disciples were hiding in a, in a room. And finally, he appears to them and he, and he, over a number of weeks and then said, wait in the upper room and pray because you're going to receive power from on high. And the Holy Spirit came. This is all in the first few uh, uh, chapters of the book of Acts. Well, this is what happened after the resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead even though they buried him, crucified him, killed him, buried him. The grave couldn't hold him. We're going to be talking about that in two weeks in Easter. <clears throat> he rose from the dead, and Peter preaches. says, uh, Therefore, let all the house, he's standing in front of thousands of people in Jerusalem, uh, preaching, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart. That means they felt it. They realized what they did was wrong. They had conviction <clears throat> and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, oh, what do we do now? Men and brethren, what shall we do? They recognized that they were wrong. They repented in mind and now say, what can we do to demonstrate repentance? And uh, Peter said, repent and let everyone be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you and to your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And it's the promise of, of the Lamb of God. It's the promise that God would provide a man. It's the promise that we have a king that will overcome every failure, every sin. The resurrection, when Jesus rose from the dead, it proved that he had authority that exceeded all worldly authority. It was the Romans that put him in the grave, right? It was the Jewish religious system that uh, accused him and, and convicted him but he demonstrated power over that by you can't keep him down 
All right. <clears throat> Jesus even said that to his disciples right before he ascended into heaven. Uh, and, and he said, all authority in heaven and earth had been given to me. Uh, and so he was declaring what had happened, but it, it was demonstrated by the fact that death had no grip on him. And then he said to his disciples, go and tell everybody in the world about this. All right, because anyone who believes can have the same freedom. Death can't keep you down. Uh, this authority empowers us. Jesus' authority it now empowers us to walk out our inward journey of righteousness. All right? We can't do it. You cannot attain the level of perfection that God requires of us. All right? But with Christ dwelling in us, we don't rely on our authority. We rely on Christ's authority. So it's just like, I don't have to walk to Mexico. I can hop on an airplane and it'll just take me there. And I just sit the whole time complaining. <laughs> I, I, I really don't like when people complain about airplanes. Because I'm like, well, you can walk. <laughs> it's actually pretty comfortable, right? Uh, uh, so Christ in you, the hope of glory, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Here's Paul using the same idea. that It's when Christ is in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Yeah, that's great. But you know what? He goes on. He says this means that we are taught in wisdom and it enables us to be presented before God perfect. We're able to accomplish the inward journey, okay? We're able to get all of ourself dealt with. Uh, and perfect means brought to maturity. It means complete in every way. It means being who God created you to be. It's not this idea of ultimate uh, perfectionism that sometimes we get caught up in. It just means being healthy, being whole, being full, being satisfied, and being satisfying to God. That, and that is accomplished when we come to Jesus as the Lamb, uh, the Son of God sent to, as payment uh, uh, for uh, the sin, uh, uh, our sin and as, as salvation for anyone and everyone who receives. When we receive Jesus as the man, reconnecting us, being the, the mediator, uh, uh, bridging the gap between humanity and, and divinity is the man Jesus Christ. It gives us assurance, it gives us access through his body, and it enables his purity to be transferred into us. Because we're human. How many are human here? Right? So we need a human to get from God what humans need, and God provides that. All right? And behold, your king establishes his rule and his reign in our hearts, and eventually through us to the whole world. And that's what the outward journey is going to be about. So let's just close in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we thank you that you've provided a lamb. Lord, that you provided the price that no man could provide, no human. Lord, and we thank you that, Jesus, that you were willing to give not just yourself, but all of yourself, all the way. Uh, thank you so much for being the sacrifice, for being the Lamb of God. Thank you, Father, for sending someone in our likeness, even as we're made in your likeness, someone that we can relate to, someone we can look at, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so he's the perfect expression of the Father's love. And thank you for being our King, 
that you rule in our hearts. And if there's anyone here who has not come to the place, where you've not confessed that, listen, all it takes is believing it in your heart. That means you believe that it's true, that Jesus is. It doesn't mean you understand it. I don't understand it. I've been a pastor for 30 years. I don't understand most of it. But I believe it. I believe it. I believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be. And in being who he was, he was able to satisfy God and reconnect. And I've seen it worked out in my life and the lives of countless others. Believe it in your heart, but then you need to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Uh, That Jesus is Lord. That means that he is your king. And if you do that, you can leave this place having an assurance that you're in right relationship, that you've started, that's the starting point of the journey, but it is a journey that you walk on for the rest of your life. Father, thank you for opening the access to heaven through your son, the Lord Jesus. I pray everyone here would uh, walk out the journey with the power of God uh, day by day in Jesus' name. Amen.